It is so good to be with you as always, Jonathan. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Okay, I felt like that was underwhelming given my introduction. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's okay. I'm glad you were honest, though. We talked last week about not being able to meet the impossible standards, and here you go right off the bat setting one for me. I'm sorry. We also talked about being honest today. That's you were honest, true. and I was just like, no, you should be more <laughs> excited. I should just say the meaningless words of, fine, how are you? Which is just like my compulsive reaction to anyone <laughs> saying any greeting to me, even if they don't ask, how are you? Well, here's a question for you. Hope it's, I hope it's kind of funny. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to instinctively trust everything people told you or instinctively doubt everyone's claims? <sighs> well, sadly, for much of my life, the first option has basically been me. When I did my first psychological assessment of the ordination process... I got like a big, like, as big as you could write it, kind of naive warning. (laughs) (laughs) I've become a healthier level of skeptical over the years, but I still say I'm generally trusting. Maybe, you know, for the question, I think just so I could experience something different, I'll say totally distrusting of everything everyone says. (laughs) (laughs) This reminds me of when I was in high school. We had a, a foreign exchange student from France, and she told us this story like midway through the year that she would say something about France, and everybody would be like, Whoa, no way. And she thought like they were like, like combative. She thought they were like saying, like, No, that's not true. She was like, It was like halfway through the year when I realized that was just the American way of saying, Wow, that's really neat and yeah. interesting. She was like, I think I too would want to just be a little more suspicious because I think right now I'm with you I'm like I'm pretty trusting like bordering on a little gullible because if somebody tells me something I'm just like oh yeah like I like I believe them unless they've given me a bunch of reasons in the past not to believe them but like instinctively I'm pretty trusting too so I think Maybe it would actually be helpful for me to have some skepticism. And if I just instinctively had that, maybe maybe that'd be better yeah. off. <laughs> it's funny for me to say all this, but it's like being trusting of others is like so important to who I understand myself to be too. So it's like I'm like cringing internally thinking about this new way of existing. But that's probably why it would be good for me. Yeah, it doesn't have to... I didn't specify that it was forever. (laughs) Could do it for a day. Well, with that, let's see what our passage has to do with being trusting, being suspicious. We'll go from there. So, Jonathan, would you read our passage for us? Yeah, I'd love to, Seth. Let's get into John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30 from the Common English Bible. The time came for the festival of dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple, walking in the covered porch named for Solomon. The Jewish opposition circled around him and asked, How long will you test our patience? 
If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you don't belong to my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never die, and no one will snatch them from my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. A nice, short passage for this week. So while you're reading, what jumped out at you? I very much resonate with Jesus' response here. Because I very often give very complicated answers to very simple questions. (laughs) So that's what's standing out to me is like, yeah, Jesus, I get it. (laughs) Sometimes you just need to say more. (laughs) I think, I think though in that long answer to a short question, Jesus is just roasting the opposition here. It's like, you'd get it if you were actually like one of us. <laughs> kind of like <laughs> this group that has obtained power by being exclusive and maintaining it. Maintaining that exclusion to maintain a stranglehold on what little power they did have in Rome. They're now being excluded. <laughs> hmm. And it's just, it's just a really strong... The language is just so strong in that regard. Yeah, we see that a lot in the Gospel of John, right? There's like these dichotomies of who's in, who's out, who's in the flock, who's not, who's in the community, who's not, and there's no gray area. You're either in or out. You're not on the fence. And here we get that again, right? Like, you you don't belong to my sheep, but my sheep know my name. I'm really intrigued by their question, too, because I can't tell if it's genuine like i think it's not because it says the jewish opposition so i'm like okay it's probably not a genuine question but then i i also just sense in it if you're the christ tell us plainly i just sense like people who just want to know who are like come on like i'm confused just tell me the answer And then they ask, Jonathan liked Jesus, and he doesn't just tell him plainly. Damn it. (laughs) He tells him. (laughs) He gives a soliloquy. So I don't know. I think, like, one thing that I actually like about this passage is that you can read it either way. That they're asking a serious question, or they're just being jerks, like, trying to trap him again. Just trolling him. Do people even say that anymore? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Us ancient millennials. I feel better now. Because sometimes the youths say stuff and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like Cap. Do you know what that means? Yeah. Because I I don't. It's like, (laughs) 
Okay. You can look it up look it up in Urban Dictionary and see how wrong I am, because I'm probably gonna be wrong. But I'm pretty sure it means like like BS. Yeah. It's like basically another word for line. It can be used like no cap. Or you can say stop capping. Which okay. This also bothers me. We're getting off topic here. How can cap and no cap be a synonym? They're not. Yeah, it says it can be used like no cap. So it says an urban Me- dictionary. Yeah, meaning like... They're not, they're telling I'm, the truth. Yeah, like, I'm serious, no cap. But if you're like, if you say something, I'm like... You just say cap. Cap, that means like, I'm calling if you out. I'm suspicious of it. If you're distrusting me... You're gonna say cap. If I'm but trying... if I do trust you, then I say no cap. Nah. <laughs> Close enough. Okay. If it helps you. Close enough. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I think I kind. I think I kind of. At the church I preached at yesterday, the the pastor who I was uh, filling in for in the pulpit is a friend of mine who's like not that much older, like also a pretty young clergy person. And one of the congregation members came up at the end of the service and was like, this is what I'm talking about. All the clergy are just so young these days. And I was just like, ma'am, let me tell you what it feels like to be any age that's not 19 on a college campus. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, these children are everywhere. (laughs) Well, thanks for explaining. Cap. You're welcome. I walk among the young people. I know their ways. I'm going to come to you with my with my millennial lingo questions. I really feel like I really dated myself just describing the words millennials use. But back to the words that the Jewish opposition uses. I just wonder if if like these if their question isn't kind of tinged with a little bit of doubt like they want to believe that that jesus is who he says he is that he's the messiah just like he's told them before but they're just like not sure and i don't want to jump super early to what's the point but that that's how i've been kind of thinking about this passage on the heels of at least a little bit removed from doubting thomas but following it It's like, what does it look like to have some doubts about who Jesus is and also simultaneously to have faith? Like, how do we hold this together? Hmm. As usual, I just gave you like four questions (laughs) that are related, but tangentially, and then just let you pick one or try all of them. Well, I'll try not to answer all of them in my typical fashion. But, <laughs> but Seth, I think what it comes down to for me is this idea that faith needs doubt. We put them in opposition to each other. We pit them against each other. We criticize Thomas for doubting, even though he was only labeled that way because he doubted the disciples who had previously <laughs> doubted Mary. <laughs> and I don't think it is 
I don't think it is unreasonable for us to claim the need to see for ourselves, so to speak. Like, in the church, we talk about this needs to be a community you can trust, where you give of your time and your financial resources. I think it's reasonable for people to be like, I'm not sure yet. I need to see more. Because so much happens in the name of trust that turns out to be abuse. <laughs> when real relationships take time, <laughs> take energy. And yeah, some of us are more trusting than others inherently. But it's that skepticism that makes the trust that much more valuable that much stronger but I also think faith and doubt work together and that doubt exposes the ways that our faith covers up things that we just haven't thought about yet hmm. and I I can I think I know enough about you to know that like some of our educational experiences have kind of undone some of the things that we previously held to be like central to not just our faith but like our identity <laughs> and it's scary to have those kinds of things challenged but it's what gets you to a place of honesty and authenticity and helps you engage things with a little more humility too because faith without doubt isn't faith it's certainty which really quickly translates into fundamentalism, which really quickly translates into violence. I think, too, about the ways that people's life experience can cause them to have more trust or more doubt, more suspicion. Like if you have, you know, a good bit of privilege and people make promises and they come through and you tell them secrets and they keep them and they trust you in return and you trust them like that can build your trust right not just in those people but in people in general and then the opposite i think is true too like when you have experiences in which you have trusted people and that's opened you up for abuse or you've told something someone in confidence and then they've shouted it on top of the mountain like that can also lead you to be suspicious of not just that person but everybody, I think part of what the church has to do is understand the breadth of those experiences that people are coming from different places, right? Just like you were saying that some people are like inherently really trustworthy and some people have been conditioned not to be trusting and others to be trusting. So I think part of what we can do in our teaching and our preaching it's just to think about how there's people kind of at various places across that spectrum. And it's interesting to me, at least in this story, that Jesus answers in a way that seems kind of snarky. Because I think like he's already told them. And I think like that's what's shaping his response. Like, I've told you again and again and again. You've seen the miracles. I've told you who I am before. But now you can't get over this doubt. You're letting the doubt overpower your faith. 
I think it's one thing to hold them in balance, right? It seems like another thing to let the doubt just dominate, to take over. I think I might actually, uh, I might actually push back on that a little bit, Seth. Okay. And not to not to say that like, I think living living so consumed by doubt is maybe not desired because it's so so hard <laughs> but not necessarily because it's not the desired outcome if that makes sense like i don't i don't, I don't want to put i don't want to put value like a moral value on it and i don't necessarily hmm. think you are but i'm just like there are seasons of life where doubt is rampant and i think god shows up in the midst of that and yeah. and is willing to, and is willing to to use the the king james language is willing to tarry is willing to wait and linger with us in that and, and kind of like we were talking about in our last episode too that like there is an invitation into something more but there's also grace for if and how we we go down that way <laughs> That wasn't really a strong pushback. I think we can make room for doubt while also saying it's okay for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess. I think your, your last statement there, like we can make room for doubt and it's okay for a while, might be where I would come out. I don't want doubt to rule Mm. to have its way in our life like despite picking that i would want to be suspicious all the time i I do think that that might might be an exhausting way to live to be suspicious all the time but just like you were saying i think that there's periods where we have like deep doubts Periods where we're confused, we have lots of questions. Yeah. But I think that even even when we have those questions, like the fact that we have the questions at all kind of evidences some faith. And that's what I would say, like even then, right? There's like there's a modicum of faith in which the doubt hasn't completely yeah. won yet. I remember the prayer that I don't know if you wrote it or compiled it for the Good Friday episode that we did. Um, But the emphasis in one of the prayers after the words of Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word my there is very important, right? It's like this expression of lament, anguish. And yet there is, there's faith, there's connection. And I think it's true. Like Seth, I think if if doubt is necessary to have faith, then I think the converse needs to be true as well. That faith is necessary to have doubt. Yeah, yeah. Because if it, if it was more than that, or if doubt was free from faith, it would just be like this factual on-off switch, where it's like, this yeah. information contradicts what I already know, therefore what I already know is incorrect, and that's that. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, 
doubt is challenging to something that we hold dear, whether that be our understanding of another person in a relationship or our understanding of a system that we're in or something related to our faith. And, and I think we need to hold on to something to have doubts about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I always kind of dislike, not kind of, I dislike the phrase, God never gives us more than we can handle. But I hear in it, this intermixing of faith and doubt, mm. right? You're like, I don't know if I doubt my own ability to do this. But then like the faith that God will empower you to do it. So I think that that could be helpful about that phrase, even if I think kind of the gist of it yeah. is is wrong. But well, I think and I think too, Seth. Like a lot of things we talk about, it's it's one thing to claim that for yourself, and it's another thing to impose that narrative on someone else too. Yeah, that's true. And so, and maybe that's maybe that's kind of where we're like I. I am comfortable saying that I, do, I don't want doubt to win. <laughs> um, but I don't know if that allows me to show up and offer the tender care of the spirit with others for whom it feels like doubt is winning. Hmm. Like imposing, not even imposing necessarily either with intention or my actual action, but like even just asserting that for myself creates a disconnect it creates suspicion. Yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> and does. I, and and it, it's like, how do we hold space for doubt without letting it hold the court? I don't know. I'm trying to get the language right, but it's like, it needs to be there, but it's not a necessary evil. I don't like that phrase either. Like, yeah, me neither. It's just, it's just necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I like that. It's just necessary. I think you're onto something that when we come into situations and say, no, 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 doubt is unequivocally bad. Like we, there can't be any doubt. We can't have it win. That it can be like almost an imperialistic. Yeah. It's kind of up to others. Because I think what can seem like doubt to us, like from the outside, can actually just be healthy questioning and not you know deep despair and overwhelming doubt to others like it can look like that to us but you know we're different people we're all different so to say no 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 no, no. you can't you know we can't let doubt win Who, who's to say the other person is letting doubt win and is doubt winning the end i mean i guess i would say no to that too we've had this whole conversation here i am i'm like well if doubt wins probably okay <laughs> i mean just this, ask. Is Lu- this is the lutheran in me i'm like well it's god's action so because if you have doubts yeah. you're probably fine <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ask ask the end of the Gospel of Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The or, likely original ending of Mark's Gospel was, and they went away and they were really? afraid. And, 
don't know. There's just a lot of situations in our life that lend themselves to that kind of reaction. And I'd like to think that God's grace is deep and wide enough to still sweep us up in unending love. Even if the questions feel like they're dragging us down. Hmm. I like that imagery. I guess I would say something like, you know, all we can have all the doubts in the world, all the doubts imaginable. They can keep piling up. But I guess the good news for me is that God never doubts us. Hmm. I feel like that was like a long roundabout journey to get to. If you have doubts, that's healthy. And if they win, that's healthy. If you don't have any doubts, that's not healthy. <laughs> right? That's yeah. like we did that whole episode to get to that. I feel like this episode was very much like me answering a question. <laughs> <laughs> it totally was. That's a, it's so funny you would say that. Yeah. yeah. So, pray for us. Get us out of here, man. <laughs> well, I would love to, because I think that's the only thing that we can do right now. Thanks for praying with me, Jonathan. Faithful God, our faith may wax and wane, but your faith in us never ceases. Help us to trust your promises, to hear your voice, and follow you over the cacophony of competing noise. We pray this through the shepherd who never abandons his sheep. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks everyone for joining us on this wild roller coaster of a conversation. We're so glad that you're sticking along for the ride. Next week, we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 11. But until then, thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. So, Jonathan, would you read our passage for us? Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, you got to keep that in. I'll try. Or it's or it's got to be at least at, at the end. Oh yeah, the blooper. My sheep listen to my voice. <laughs> Excuse me. It's <laughs> <laughs> going great. I feel like we're always like so focused on yours, and then mine come and we're like, "Don't be suspicious." <laughs> It's my fault. I know it is. No, it's okay. Because <laughs> I'm like so focused on my notes and I'm like, phew, that's done. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you don't belong to my sheep. But my sheep know my name. But my sheep know my voice. Hopefully they know his name. He knows my name. <laughs> The bloopers are just going to be you singing like a bunch of different songs. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs>